0: So we pick up with 1 John chapter 4 and we read verses 1 through 6. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your Word. And we pray now for the work of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that You would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that You would grant us Spiritual discernment that we might be able to know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. The famous circus magnet, P.T. Barnum, was once. Quoted to say, every minute a fool is born or a sucker is born. And of course, the idea was that you can find anybody somewhere, enough people, to believe just about anything. so on the one side we have those who are gullible, willing to believe just about anything, and thus those who are out there, hucksters in the world, promoting every kind of ideology they can possibly imagine, for usually a buck, can find somebody to believe it. And now on the other side of the continuum would be a hyper... Uh, skepticism where we aren't willing to believe anything or trust anything. We in our culture have both extremes present. How do we as believers chart a path in this world where we have both those willing to sell us anything and everything and also those who are so skeptical that they don't really believe anything. Well, John is teaching us that we can come to the place in our lives that we have a spiritual confidence, a settled conviction about truth, an assurance about our lives spiritually. And he gives us these spiritual vital signs to look for in our lives, which when present in our lives are indicators of spiritual life from which we are able to derive a sense of confidence and spiritual assurance about our lives, from which we come to the conclusion, yes, we do know God, yes, we do possess eternal life. But what happens when in the midst of that, when in the midst of the church, when in the midst of your life as a believer, someone introduces some novel teaching, some strange doctrine, That begins to disturb you spiritually and cast doubt on your spiritual life. What do you do then? How do you know if a teaching is from God? How do you know if that teaching is of the truth? Or, conversely, is of this world and is from the spirit of error? Well, here the Apostle John, seeking to protect the assurance and confidence of the spiritual lives of God's people, gives them an answer to this question, how do we know if a teaching is from God or is from this world? First, he charges us to be spiritually discerning. Verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's to see whether they are from God. In verse 6 he says, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So if you and I are to maintain some sense of spiritual stability in our lives, some sense of spiritual security and assurance about the possession of eternal life in our relationship with God, then we need to become spiritually discerning. We need to be... Spiritually careful, not gullible, open to believe anything that anybody says, but rather spiritually discerning, not led astray from the truth of the gospel. So John warns the church about the danger of spiritual errors that might lead you away from Christ and put your assurance, if not your salvation, in jeopardy. So first we note the danger of this spiritual gullibility. Spiritual naivete. There are some who are willing to believe anything. They like novel teaching. They want to know something new. And John warns us against being gullible, against believing anything and everything, just because someone stands behind a pulpit or some sacred desk or dresses himself up in some way and uh, begins to speak with some sense of authority, he warns us, Against just an open mindedness, gullibility that takes in anything. Some people are so open minded their brains fall out. And John tells us already in the life of the church that there is the very real danger already in the first century of the presence of false prophets. And also in verse 3, what he calls Antichrist. And in verse 6, those who promote the spirit of error. And later on in the life of the church, the early church, there were all kinds of battles fought for the truth of the gospel against all of those who were promoting every kind and any kind of error about the nature of the person of Jesus and also about the nature of God. And Jesus warned His disciples about this. The Apostle John probably has this in the back of his mind. he remembers, uh, as he speaks to these believers, he remembers the words of Jesus spoken to him. Matthew 24, verses 23 to 24. He said, Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe them, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. False teachers who are, according to Jesus, even doing miraculous things. Nevertheless, false teachers. And the church were now some 20 centuries has been plagued with false prophets and Antichrist, and is to this very day. They are in the church today. Thus, there is this real danger of false teachers that might lead you astray, away from the spirit of truth and into the spirit of error. And thus, John's exhortation assumes that there is such a thing as truth revealed to us by God. I know in this day of postmodern philosophy uh, it's very popular to say there is no truth. And even that can't be true. Or else there would be truth. Recall of the horns of a dilemma. But John assumes that there is such a thing as truth from which you can depart. And if there was no such thing as truth, you could never depart from it, could you? You can't depart from that which does not exist. So everywhere the Apostle John assumes there is such a thing as truth from which we could depart, and there is also error about which we need to be warned. Jesus Himself says, I am the truth. In John 14, verse 6, He is the embodiment of all that is true and real, all that corresponds to reality. And in John 17, verse 17, Jesus, praying for His disciples, said, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Thus truth is revealed to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and also in the Word of God, both in the Word of God incarnate in the flesh and also the Word of God in Scripture. And we are not to be led astray by being spiritually gullible, but rather we are to be spiritually discerning. So we can determine what is genuine, what is true, what is credible from that which is false, and receive that which is true and good, and reject that which is false. By the way, you know where the cults, not the occults, but the cults, um, where they derive most of their members it's from you. It's from from the church. It's from there I say it ignorant believers. Not unbelievers, but ignorant believers who don't who are not discerning, who don't know the truth well enough to discern and distinguish it from error. Thus There is the necessity of discernment. Uh, Verse 1, John says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Uh, The word test is the word uh, that is used um, when speaking about trying to determine whether something is genuine or fake. You came to me and you said, Look at this diamond, Pastor Barnes. Is it real or fake? I couldn't tell you. I have no, it just. You could it could be glass. I don't know how to do that. But you could take it to a jeweler. And a jeweler could look at it underneath his special magnifying glass, and he could tell you, is it glass or is it a diamond? Uh, The word is used sometimes of a uh, what they called a touchstone, uh, a special stone that you would strike a gold coin on this stone. And if this was truly a gold coin, it would leave a mark on the stone proving that this was a genuine, really gold coin. When I was a kid, I watched cowboy movies. Cowboys and Indians. Cowboys and Indians. We used to jump on the uh, arm of our sofa and ride like a horse. And... Um, Always, whenever anybody gave a cowboy gold, he made sure it was real first, before he took it. You know how he did it? Take that gold coin, put it in his mouth and bite down on it. Because gold is soft. And you would be able to leave an impression with your tooth. And if you couldn't bite into it and leave an impression with your tooth, it wasn't really gold. That's the idea here. Test. The spirits. It's the test of authenticity. It's to be able to evaluate the teaching and conclude, is it a a real truth from God? Is it the spirit of truth or the spirit of error? That's what you need to be as believers. You need to be discerning about what you hear. And not just gullible and believe whatever anybody preaches to you from any place, including this place. You ought to have your Bibles open and looking at what's being said and ask yourself, is that in the text? Sometimes I hear people say, you know, whenever I hear that guy preach, man, it's just amazing what he says. I don't know how he gets it out of there. And I to say, well, is it in there? I don't know. He just gets it from somewhere. Hey, if he's not getting it from there, you better be careful. That's what we call exegesis. That is, what is the truth of God in the text? So it's brought up out of the text, from the text. Not exegesis, me putting something in the text. Some sermons are a message looking for a text. It ought to be the message that arises out of the text. So John tells us we ought to be discerning. The Bereans, remember them. The apostle Paul was preaching the gospel through Asia Minor, and he went from one town to another town, usually to the synagogue, and would preach there until they couldn't stand it anymore. They kick him out, and so then he went to the next place. Uh, he went to Thessalonica. Some people believed, some didn't. They got mad at him, they chased him out of the synagogue. He went to Berea. Later on, these same ones in Thessalonica came to Berea and chased him out of there too. But before they chased him out of Berea, he was preaching to the Jews there in the synagogue. And Acts 17 verse 11 says this about them. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Is what the Apostle Paul is pre- preaching to us, is it, does it square up with what God has already revealed to us in the Old Testament Scriptures? They were examining that. They were not gullible. They were discerning. To know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. That error will undermine your assurance insofar as it undermines your confidence in the person and work of Christ. And so you must be discerning. Now, secondly, John gives us the test. The test by which we can discern whether it is the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. He gives us a test to use for spiritual discernment. What is the test? Verses 2 and 3. By this, you know the Spirit of God... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. So here the Apostle John gives us the test to employ by which we can discern whether or not we are getting the truth of the gospel or whether we are being taught errors promoted by false prophets and Antichrist. It is, as it were, a theological touchstone to take this teaching that you're hearing and strike it across this touchstone and see whether or not it is genuine and real and true. Now, there could be many different things you employ to discern truth from error. Uh, We could in one sense say that the whole Bible is a way of discerning truth from error. We read, if they do not speak, Isaiah 8 says, if these who peep and mutter, he talks about false prophets that way, peeping and muttering, he says, if they do not speak according to this law, They have no light in them. So we could say the whole of Scripture, Jesus says in Matthew 4, verse 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So you could say that the Bible, the Word of God, is the test stone. Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus himself gives us another test. He gives us what, he, what we might call a moral test. He says, you want to know whether somebody's of the truth? Examine their lives. What is the fruit of their life? He says in Matthew 7, verse 16, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So you examine the life of this person, and you see all manner of rotten fruit. That is a cue that what they are teaching may not be from God. Those are two things you might do. But here, the test is not the whole of the Word of God. The test is not the character of the person. Here, the test that John gives us is more narrowly focused. It is focused upon the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. And John then says, those who confess... The incarnation are from God, and those who deny it are not from God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So John focuses in on the very doctrine or teaching that is under attack by these antichrists, these false prophets. He focuses in on the heart of the matter, the point that is being challenged by these antichrists that has to do with the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. There are some errors that we may embrace that are not fatal. You may at this very moment be all confused about baptism. How you ought to be baptized, who ought to be baptized, you're already being very confused. But that's that's as an Arab, you might be confused, you're not sure what the Bible teaches, but it's not fatal. You won't stand at the gate of heaven. Let me in. What was your view on baptism? Well, I believe this. Wrong? You don't get to enter into heaven. The Bible teaches something about when Christ will return. It's called eschatology, the study of last things. You may be all confused about that. You couldn't draw a chart if your life depended on it. But thank God, when you get to heaven, let me in. What was your eschatology? That's not going to be asking. There are some teachings of Scripture, conversely that are at the very heart of the Gospel. By the way, I'm not saying those things are unimportant. important. I think they're important. I think the Bible teaches something about it. I have convictions about that. But they are not at the heart of the Gospel. They are not of the essence of the Gospel. But this is. If you get this wrong, you have committed a fatal error. Those who confess the Incarnation are from God. That the eternal Son of God took upon Himself the fullness of our human nature, body and soul. That He might be our mediator the go between God and man to reconcile us to God. John states, Jesus has come. From where did He come? He came from the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From His throne in heaven where He shared... Um, equal, equality in power and glory and being with the Father and the Spirit. He shares the nature of divinity. He is fully God. And thus, Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. John states, this eternal Son of God came in the flesh. That is, He has taken unto Himself the fullness of our human nature, body and soul. Of course, that is the point that John makes in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life, that the eternal Son of God took up residence in a human body and took unto Himself a human soul, and we could see Him and touch Him and hear Him. This is what John writes in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full grace and truth. This is the Spirit of truth, John says, The truth revealed by the Spirit of God, this is the touchstone. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And conversely, those who deny the Incarnation are not from God. They fail the test. He says, This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world Now, whereas already there were some false teachers many believe they came out of a movement called gnosticism the word gnosis means knowledge and these people taught they had a special knowledge and those who had this special knowledge were in and those who didn't have the special knowledge were out and they were greek dualist and they believed that jesus could not have a human body He could not take on a human body because the human body is made of matter and matter or any material substance is evil. The pure existence is spiritual in nature and matter is a lower state of existence. Matter is evil and corrupts the spirit and salvation thus is to be found in escaping the body and escaping this world of matter. Of course, the Bible does not teach that. God creates the world, He creates matter and says it is good, it is very good. In First Timothy chapter four, the Apostle Paul speaks against those who promote such an ideology, but that ideology had brought had infiltrated the church, and thus some were saying no, um, Jesus could not have come in the flesh, he could not have a material body. In fact, one group called themselves docetists from the Greek word Daccalo to appear. And they said, no, He only appeared to have a body, but He was never really in the flesh. And now, of course, this teaching is fatal. Your assurance of eternal life is anchored in the teaching of the Incarnation. If Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, did not come to this earth and wrap Himself up in our human nature, both body and soul. You have no mediator. You have no intercessor. You have no Savior. It is in Jesus that eternal life is found. It is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the point that John has already made in 1 John 2, verses 22 and following. Where he says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And in verse 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. And in 1 John chapter 5 verse 11, he states it explicitly, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. If it is in His Son that we have life and you fail to understand the true nature of the Son, you cannot have life. Insofar as you depart from the truth about Jesus, your faith is undermined and your assurance then is threatened. Thus, the need for you and I to be discerning and to employ the test when we hear teaching. Is it of the spirit of truth or the spirit of error? So lastly, we note, John shows us how our assurance is secured When we are spiritually discerning, verses 4 to 6, he says these encouraging words to these believers. You are from God. How about having an apostle speak those words to you? You are from God and have overcome them, these false teachers, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, I know we ought to try to make our our under, uh, our presentation of the gospel, we ought to make our preaching as understandable and plain and clear as we possibly can. But there are some who have so focused on trying to get the world to understand that which is revealed from God that they have lost the message. Why do we expect that those who are in the world are going to understand what we're talking about? We sound like we're from another planet. We are. That's the point John's making. John assures these believers that they have not succumbed to the deceiving influences of these false and false teachers. They have rather overcome them. They have prevailed. The word implies victory in battle. They've not been pressed into the mold of this world. They've not been overwhelmed by the philosophies of this world. But rather, they have conquered them, and thus their souls are safe and secure. Because, one, the inward work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and two, the exercise of spiritual discernment. The Holy Spirit is at work in the life of the believer, in the life of the church, to keep the church and to preserve the church so it does not depart from the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the church departs from the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, it will begin at that moment, cease to be a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John in the book of Revelation says, Some churches have become no churches at all but have become synagogues of Satan. I know that's a very sobering thought. Nevertheless, it is true. But John tells these believers, God has called His Spirit to take up residence in their lives and in the life of the church. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. The Apostle Paul tells us, and thus we overcome, not because we are great, but because He is great. And He is at work in us. He is greater than Satan and all of his false prophets and all of the Antichrist the world can throw at us. How comforting and how assuring to know uh, that we have overcome as over against the efforts of false teachers because of the work of the Holy Spirit and because of the exercise of spiritual discernment with respect to those teachers, we are able to know what is their origin, from where do they come, and also what is the source of their authority, from where are they speaking. John says, you are from God. God has worked in their hearts by His grace. They are born of God. They are now sons of God. They are now children of God by the grace of adoption. They are, you are, no longer of this world. You are now aliens in this world. You are now of another world. You are from a heavenly kingdom. But these false teachers are from somewhere else. And we discern their origins. They are from the world, therefore, they speak as from the world, and those who are in the world listen to them. But we ought not to be listening to them. Who tells you how to live? How to parent? How to be a husband? What life is? who you are how to deal with the issues of this life who has your ear john says they are from the world they are from another realm they are from the realm of death darkness and damnation they have a different origin They are of this fallen world culture of unbelief and rebellion, and thus they are the blind leading the blind. We discern their origins, and we discern their source of authority. From what source of authority do these false teachers speak? They derive their authority from the world, Verse 5 says, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. They begin with man. They are in this world, this fallen, corrupt world. And they end with man. And they cannot get beyond this world themselves. They are of this world And they make man themselves the measure of all things, either individually or collectively, one or the other. They are earth-bound, this world-bound. And all of their philosophies originate with them. And those who are of the world listen to their theories and opinions on everything under the sun. But he says, We are not of the world. The apostles don't derive their authority from the world. They didn't promote philosophies of their own imagination. He says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us, he who is not from God does not listen to us. Do the apostles have your ear? John asserts that that those born of God, those who know God, will listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd as it is set before us by His apostles. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would move upon His disciples, His apostles, And the Holy Spirit would guide them as they set forth the truths of the gospel. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That is a peculiar and particular promise to the apostles. They were there. They heard Jesus speak. And the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance what Jesus had said to them. John 16, verses 12 to 15. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. That is a promise to the apostles. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take up Mine and will disclose it to you. And God the Father gave to God the Son, and God the Son gave it to His apostles, and His apostles have given it to us. Therefore, Second Peter 1, 16-21, Peter can say to us, We did not follow cleverly devised tales, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It does not originate with man, But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And thus the Apostle Paul can say, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is literally expired. That is, it is breathed out by God. Its origin is not with the man through whom it was channeled, through whom it came, the instrument. No, its origin is with God. And thus, the Bible is not... A collection of thoughts of men about God. But it is the thoughts of God about Himself revealed to man. And so the apostle can make this what might otherwise seem to be an extremely arrogant statement. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who does not come from God does not listen to us. John writes this not because he thinks he is anything. He's nothing. But rather because the apostolic word has been given by Jesus through the work of inspiration, using the apostles, as it were, as to write the message. Thus those who know God listen to them because of the authority given to them by God and thus they are assured. So the conclusion is this in the end of verse 6 by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Assurance is secured in the face of the undermining attacks of false prophets and antichrist. We are protected and preserved when we test the spirits, when we are discerning. Do they confess the apostolic word concerning Jesus? That He came in the flesh and bore our sins in His body on the cross. Do they pass the test? This is where our souls are secure, safe in the arms of Jesus, the Word of God incarnate. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you would give us this discernment that we might hold on, ever hold on to the truth as is found in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.